I am uh, ready to preach, um, I'm going to say that my message today is probably going to be just a little bit longer than usual, following a little bit of a different format than what I might usually follow, especially on a Sunday morning. Um, and the reason for that is because I'm continuing on a series that I didn't plan on doing, um, didn't plan on, on having a series on this particular topic, on demonic spirits. I started it uh, two, uh, two Wednesdays ago, and the Lord has just continued to unfold things and continue to work in my heart. And uh, you would... I just feel like this is a teaching that's apropos for right here, right now. Um, so my message today is just a little bit out of the normal format. So just stick with me, okay? This is a, I believe this is going to change our lives today. Uh, we have the authority over demonic powers in Jesus' name. Can anybody say amen to that? I said we have authority over demonic powers in Jesus' name. And the Bible teaches us not to be ignorant to his devices. You can't go to war if you don't know who the enemy is. Satan is obviously the enemy, but Satan is not omnipresent like God is. I, can, I, I said just the other day, I was in Daphne, Alabama for a service just several weeks ago. We felt the presence of the Lord there. The next week, we went to Gainesville, Georgia and had a great service there. I felt the presence of the Lord there. Last Sunday, we preached here. I felt the presence of the Lord here. God didn't get in a Greyhound bus and follow me around. His spirit is omnipresent. Satan is not. Satan is not omniscient. Satan is not omnipotent. And Satan is not omnipresent. But he does have a kingdom that operates under him. And I'm going to tell you to turn to a verse. I know y'all are biting at the bits waiting for me to give you a verse. I'm going to get there. But many of us have not been in our Wednesday night services. So I just want to do a quick recap, if I may. I want to get us all to a level playing field. There's just a teaching spirit in here. I feel it already. God help us today. I want to get us all on a level playing field. Catch us up on where we've been the last two Wednesdays. And those that are here, that have been here, I'm not going to re-preach those messages, okay? But stick with me. Two, two Wednesday nights, uh, two Wednesdays ago, I started teaching on the subject of demonic powers and my first message was specific to that of witchcraft. And the foundation scripture of that message that I taught was in Galatians 3 verse 1. I'm going to give a lot of scripture today. We're going to be going through the scriptures a lot. If you take notes, today will be the day to do it. And if you have your Bibles, leave it open because we're going to be going through it today. But Paul mentions to the church of Galatia in Galatians 3 verse 1. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. The goal of bewitching someone is that they not obey the truth. The goal of bewitching someone is that they not obey the truth. How can you say that, Pastor? Because Paul said, it wasn't Paul, it was under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. All scripture is inspired by God, right? He said, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? So that's what I'm going to expound on in today's message regarding um, obeying the truth. We're going to get there in a minute, but i got to recap. Understand that Paul would not have written these words to the church in Galatia 
if bewitching was not a reality. The term bewitched means to enchant, to delight, or to cause to manipulate. The act of bewitching comes through the practice of witchcraft. Pastor, I think you're crazy already. Witchcraft isn't real. Yes, it is. Witchcraft is a reality in 2023. And I've joked each Wednesday night, those that have heard it, you're going to start rolling your eyes. But we got to get out of our head the image that Hollywood gives us about witchcraft. It's not hocus pocus. It's not a woman with a long nose and a war on her nose. And she's not stirring a pot of, of uh, spells or what a potion. Thank you, Abby. Yeah, the word escaped me, but I saw you mouth it. You're with me, sister. That's not the image of modern day witchcraft. Did you know you could stand beside somebody at Walmart and they could be a witch and you may not even know it? Did you know you could be sitting beside somebody in church? Now, not here, of course, but my point is, is that witches are around and you may not even know it simply by looking at them. Why am I saying that? To get that myth out of our head that Hollywood has given us an image of what witchcraft looks like. Same with Satan. Satan is not a red figure with horns, a pointy tail, and a pitchfork. According to the Bible, Satan was beautiful. Covered in gems and stones. A witch can be someone you least expect. Witchcraft is a reality. 1 Samuel 15.23 says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Witchcraft originates through rebellion. A rebellious spirit is the breeding ground for witchcraft. Does that mean everybody who's rebellious is a witch? No. But you can't get to witchcraft without first hitting rebellion. Rebellion breeds witchcraft. In practice, witchcraft is the driving force in an attempt to control people and to control circumstances. A controlling spirit originates from, by, and through witchcraft. A manipulating uh, spirit originates from, by, and through witchcraft. In fact, witchcraft operates in three distinct manners. I've talked about this. This is the recap, okay? We've talked about this in our other messages. Witchcraft operates in three distinct manners. Number one, it operates to manipulate. Number two, it operates to intimidate. And number three, it operates to dominate. That is the goal of witchcraft, to manipulate, to control, to intimidate, and to dominate. That was my message two weeks ago. Last Wednesday, I zoomed out, and I highlighted the fact that the spirit of witchcraft operates under and in the sphere of influence under the spirit of divination. The spirit of divination. That was my message last week, especially, specifically rather on that spirit of divination. What is divination? Divination is the practice of attempting to foretell future events or discover hidden or forbidden knowledge. How? By supernatural means. Biblical prophecy and the gift of prophecy, just to be clear, is not divination. Prophecy is a gift of the spirit. It is biblical. But the devil perverts everything God has endorsed. Look at music, look at dancing, look at intimacy, look at relationships. There's nothing, everything that, that is wicked in our generation has a counterpart that more than likely was endorsed by God. But Satan comes in, twists things, perverts things, and makes things 
that God has endorsed the practice of but has made it evil. For example, music. We come in here, we worship the Lord, we sing to, to the Lord, we praise Him through song and through worship. But you turn on the radio and you listen to secular music and you hear an entirely different tune. Amen? Intimacy. God endorses intimacy. Read the book of Song of Solomon. You'll find a great uh, love story between Solomon and the Shulamite woman. Intimacy is endorsed by God in the confines of a marriage between a man and a woman. But the world has caused intimacy now through Tinder, the app Tinder, um, social media, where now it's basically how can I just get what I want? Don't, don't make me go any deeper than this. Y'all tracking with me, amen? Are y'all tracking with me? How can I just get what I want without any of the relationship? Intimacy has now turned into let me love who I want, do what I want, however I want, whenever I want. Don't you dare come against me. Or you're a bigot or you're a fill in the blank. That's what the world teaches. But the church has got to stand up for righteous moral living in this late hour. What does divination look like in practice, pastor? Some of the manifestations of divination are these. Fortune telling, soothsaying. Consulting images for advice or protection. Look at rocks, crystals, dream catchers. I've talked, I've talked about all that. How people sometimes buy these crystals or these rocks or something. And they think that they somehow bring magical or healing powers just because you're in the presence of a rock. That's demonic. A rock is a rock. <laughs> God is our healer. Astrology is another Form of divination, zodiacs, horoscopes, magic, hypnosis, enchanters, diviners, witchcraft, warlocks, witches, sorcerers, and wizards, Ouija boards, mediums, consulters of familiar spirits. Maybe if the Lord continues to work on me, next message I preach, I will be on familiar spirits. That's a message in and of itself. Necromancy, those who communicate with the dead, conjurers, those who command or summon a demon to appear, psychedelic drugs, rebellion, all of these things are manifestations of divination as practice. When you talk about the spirit of divination, these are the images that should come to your head. And this spirit, and it is a spirit, in fact, all of these demonic spirits often use people to manifest. I said they often use people to manifest. The practice of divination is a pagan counterpart to biblical prophetic knowledge and biblical mystery. Pastor, what's the Bible say about prophecy? Pro- this is our word prophecy. The scriptures is prophecy. And this is true prophecy. Everything you need to know about your future is right here. You don't need to be, you don't need to look up horoscopes.com and figure out about Aries and my cancer and my Taurus. Send those things back to where they came, the pits of hell. This right here is my answer. If you want to get out of high, if you want to know your future, turn open the word of God and you'll see what it has to say about you. Pastor, I think you're crazy this morning. I don't believe in the spirit of divination. Well, you need to read Acts chapter 16 again. Paul and Silas came across a woman possessed by the spirit of divination. We talked about that last Wednesday night. I won't belabor that. Christian people, however, let me, I didn't point this out, but let me emphasize this. Christian people cannot be possessed. They cannot. Possession is as if my hand goes into a glove and now I can operate my hand through that glove. That is possession. 
Christian people, if you were born again, you cannot be possessed. Why? We have a gatekeeper in our hearts. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. He sits on the throne of my heart. I cannot be possessed by a demon. However, Christian people can be oppressed. Christian people can be vexed. Vexed means to be troubled, to be distressed, agitated, irritated, annoyed, shaken, tormented, harassed. Tormented, tormented, tormented. Has anybody ever been tormented before? That's called vexing. That's a vexation spirit. God didn't come to torment you. So if you're tormented in your mind, it didn't come from God. That's all I'll say about that. Christians can be vexed by unclean spirits. And unclean spirits are as much alive as, the, as, the, as much alive today as they were in the biblical times. Why wouldn't they? Think about this. Do you really believe that Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 came across the only spirit of divination? And when they cast it out, that spirit of divination never came back before. Do you really believe that? No, we don't believe that. It, come on. The Bible is clear that demonic spirits are still alive today. And they come against no one else other than the church. The church is the enemy of demonic spirits. Why would they attack the wicked? The wicked's already on the highway to hell. They want to stop the church. They want to thwart the plans for the church. Okay. Now, what I brought out last Wednesday's message is one, one thing I want to highlight. I won't highlight everything, but I do want to say this to get to where I'm going, which is that Paul turned when that spirit of divination came against Paul. He turned and spoke to the spirit. He didn't chastise the girl. He didn't rebuke the girl. He didn't beat the girl over the head with scripture and say, you stupid idiot. None of those things happened. He spoke to the spirit and said, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. Yes. Paul didn't chastise the spirit. He spoke to it. That's, that could preach for a moment. If I could just preach for a moment, I'd say some of us need to acknowledge the fact that there may be a spirit coming against us from time to time. I'm not. Now, listen, everybody has a blue Monday. Sometimes people have a blue week or a blue month or a blue year. Does every time I'm in a bad mood mean I'm vexed by a spirit? No. But that does not negate the fact that there is a, a, an influence, a demonic kingdom that comes to influence the church. So what I'm trying to do by the power of the Holy Ghost, if you could just help me communicate this, is to articulate the fact that just because that you can have a bad day. But that doesn't negate the fact that there's also a demonic realm that's trying to come against the church and affects the church, okay? So I just wanted to highlight that. That was all a recap. Are you all with me so far? Okay. The Lord teaches us in 2 Corinthians 2.11 we should not be ignorant of his devices. That's what we're trying to do here. We should be aware. We should be spiritually strategic and thoughtful. Spiritual warfare is real. I've spoke a lot about spiritual warfare, but listen to me. I can't just say we're facing spiritual warfare and not be clear to articulate that warfare which we face. You understand what I'm saying? I can't just simply say there's such thing as spiritual warfare and then walk out and not explain to the body what the spiritual warfare, what the issues are that we face. Look up here, please. I'm so glad my sister's here. Welcome, sister. You must be Emily. And that must be Walker. Everyone give a hand for Walker and Emily. <laughs> Praise God. So glad you're here this morning. But there is a kingdom of darkness, and Satan is the head of that kingdom. 
But like I said, he's not all-knowing, okay? So let me move on. Turn to your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I'll actually get to what I came here to preach this morning. That was 16 minutes. Preach two messages in 16 minutes. Praise God. First <laughs> Timothy chapter 4. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the next spirit that the Lord has been working on me with. And first Timothy chapter 4 explains it. Why why are we talking about this, Pastor? We're not glorifying the enemy. Listen to me, I want to be clear about this. We're not glorifying the enemy. I'm not trying to intimidate or put fear in anybody's minds. All I'm trying to say is that there is an enemy, number one. And number two, we have authority over him, Jesus Christ. We have authority over him. We don't have to be vexed the rest of our lives. We can live in freedom. First Timothy 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Say it out loud, let me hear you. Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Notice this verse says in the latter days. I want to highlight that because that right there tells us that seducing spirits will come against the church in the latter days. It didn't say way back when and it stopped when Jesus rose from the dead. No, he said in the latter days, in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. Why? Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. This verse concludes the fact that seducing spirits are not only alive, but we will face them in the latter days. Listen to this, because what I'm about to tell you is critical, 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 critical foundation that must be understood and grasped before we go any further. Because I'm going to be pointing some things out to you today in Scripture you may not have seen before. And if you do not get what I'm about to tell you right now, you'll miss the rest of my message as big as Dallas, Texas. Okay? In Greek, the word for seducing is planeo. If we were to pull out the Strong's Concordance and look up the word, word seducing. Because we know that the New Testament was originally written in Greek, right? Why do we study the word studies? Because not every Greek word has a one-to-one uh, translation to an English word. It's important to understand the definition, the context, the meaning. The word seducing is planeo, meaning to cause to stray. That's what a seducing spirit does. It causes us to stray. Paul is referring to a spirit that draws people away from what? The truth. It's the same thing that happened in the church of Galatia. Galatians chapter 3 verse 1. O foolish Galatians who is bewitched you. Then calls you to not obey the truth. And here in 1 Timothy 4, that is specific to not hearing the voice of God, but listening to what? Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. This is where we get that famous quote that us Christians have heard a million times when Oprah, way back when, said that there's many ways to God. That she used her platform to speak to billions of people. How many people know Oprah? Everybody knows who Oprah is. And she used that wide platform to get up on national television and tell the world, I think all religions are kind of the same and your God is the same as this God and all religions lead to God. That's not biblical truth. John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word, thy word is true. Not Oprah's word, not President Biden's word, not Governor Lee's word, not Mayor Weston Walt's word. His word is the truth. And his word is what I'm going to listen to. And Jesus said, there is only one way to the Father, and that's by me. I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father but by me. If you want to get to heaven, you can't get there through Muhammad. I feel the Holy Ghost. If you want to get to heaven, you can't get there through Allah. You know how many people say, Allah Akbar, and then they bomb at school, or they bomb at church, or they bomb a hospital. That's demonic. I'm sorry. It's demonic. We need to stand up and say, go back to hell, you seducing spirit. I ain't going to believe in what the Word of God has to say, and nobody's going to move me. We need that boldness in the church this way out. Another common modern-day example of this seducing spirit is a very popular bumper sticker. I'm sure we've all seen it. It says, coexist. Has anybody seen that bumper sticker? It says, coexist. What a beautiful message. But what a false teaching. There will be no coexisting. If you study that, that bumper sticker, you'll realize each letter is a symbol from a different religion. You have the Muslim, the, the moon. You have the Star of David for Jews. You have the Christian cross. But we know, I think if you turn on your news, you'll realize Muslims and Jews will never coexist. The Quran specifically says, I quoted this, I believe, in one of my messages, one of the last Wednesdays. The Quran specifically says this, that infidels, infidels would be you and I, people who are not ascribed under the, the Islam religion, infidels are to be treated by cutting off their hands and feet. Show me in the Bible where the Bible says that we should kill unbelievers. It ain't there. Yet the world celebrates Islam and stomps on the head of Christians. Now, I'm not telling us to hate anybody. We shouldn't hate anybody. I've had dear friends. Brady knows this. She can testify. I had a, a, one of my past jobs, I had a dear friend that was a Muslim. And we talked our truths. And we were able to talk respectfully and with love with one another. That's how it should be done. However, there is a class of Muslims that thinks just because you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you should die. And that was the doctrine that motivated the attack of 9-11. That was the doctrine that motivated the attack on the Israelis on October 7th, and so on. So not heeding the voice of God and instead heeding the voice of man instead is what traps people into false teachings, false doctrine, and false prophets. Seducing spirits can operate through religion as well. Religion, denominationalism, traditions of man. That is ways that a seducing spirit can operate as well in regards to inside the confines of a church. 1 John 4 verse 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but test the spirits. Spirits. Plural. Indicating there's more than one. And we're not to be ignorant of the enemy's devices. We should test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Okay. What is a seducing spirit? When I say seducing spirits, many may immediately think of some sort of sexual seduction. And while that can that can absolutely apply, that is not the focus in which Paul wrote 1 Timothy chapter 4. John wrote 1 John chapter 4. The, the seducing spirit can absolutely operate in that realm. Okay? I'm not discounting that. But the purest of Definitions in the context of 1 Timothy chapter 4, the spirit of seduction or seducing spirit operates much more covert than that in an effort to lead you astray. There are many manifestations of a seducing spirit. Listen to it. Here they are. Deception, 
fascination with evil ways, objects and persons, attraction with false prophets and wonders, speaking hypocritical lies, gossip, slander, hypocrisy. All of these are symptoms of a seducing spirit. And another symptom of a seducing spirit is having the conscience seared. We find that in 1 Timothy 4 verse 2. Their conscience is seared with a hot iron. What does that mean? It means they won't have any conscience anymore about their behavior. My, my, my. Do we not see that in the world today as well? Look at how the world is acting specifically toward Israel. Israel just defending itself. Israel just standing up and saying, you know what? It's not okay that you break into my house and cut off the head of my children. It's not okay that you walk into my house and rape my wife and kill everybody. That's not okay. I don't know where you came from, but that's not a good way that modern civilization should live. So what does Israel do? They stand up and defend the territory that the British government didn't give them. The territory that World War II, the results of World War II did not give them. God, Jehovah, gave them that land when God said to Abraham, I will make you the father of many nations. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the one that crossed the Red Sea, opened the seas, and allowed the Israelites to escape from Egyptian bondage. God Almighty is the one that walked the Israelites through the wilderness for 40 years despite their complaining. He's a God of grace this morning. And he woke up Joshua one day and said, Joshua, my servant Moses is dead. Arise and cross the river of Jordan, and I'll give you the land which I swore to you. The land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then when he got in the land, he realized there are some enemies that need to be wiped out. So I, 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 he said to Joshua, Joshua, rise up. Walk around the walls of Jericho for seven days. And on the seventh day, walk around silently. Don't speak. Don't say a word. I'll tell you why in just a second. Remember this. Don't say a word. But on that seventh day, on that seventh lap, when you hear the priest blow the ram, shout to the walls. That's what I preached last week. Let Judah go first. Come on. You can pray to God. You can worship God. You can read the Bible. But sometimes we just need to shut our mouth and say, God, fight this battle. God, work a work in this late hour. The Jericho walls are up. And God said, walk seven times. And on the seventh time, listen to the trumpet and shout to the walls and they'll fall. Even after they got to the nation of Israel, they still needed to clear the land of the enemy. Sometimes we feel like we too have made it. We're born again, sanctified again with the Holy Ghost, and I don't want to have praise God. But sometimes there's still enemies in our camp. Sometimes there's still seducing spirits knocking on our door, <coughs> telling us lies, telling us hypocrisy, speaking words of doubt, speaking words that cause us to go astray. What do we do with those, Pastor? You do what Joshua did. You shout to the walls of Jericho and let God show up. Amen? Seducing spirits. I want to bring something up to you today regarding how seducing spirits might operate in an effort to open our spiritual eyes. Think about this. The process of making bread. How do you make bread? You add flour. You add oil. You add water. You add sugar. You add some other ingredients. You mix all these ingredients together. What do you have? You have a lump of nothing. Because you're missing one important ingredient. Yeast. you got to have yeast. If you don't have yeast, there's nothing except a, a clunk of messy ingredients. 
But when you add yeast into the bread-making process, there's a multiplication process that happens, and the ingredients form together, and they begin to rise. Without yeast, you cannot make bread. But Paul writes, and he uses this illustration, he writes to the church of Corinth and the church of Galatia, and he says, a little leaven, a little yeast, a little leaven leavens the whole lot. And he uses that as an illustration to speak about the power sin can have in a believer's life. So it is with sin. So it is with listening and entertaining and opening doors and accepting truths from seducing spirits. This is why gossip is so dangerous, especially in the church. You listen to me. I'm not, I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about the church. This is why gossip is so important. This is why speaking lies is so detrimental and so damaging to the body of Christ. Why? A little leaven leavens a whole lot. If you don't deal with that issue, what's going to happen? It's going to start mixing together. And before you knew it, that little bit has now caused a big rise. That little bit that you dumped in there has now caused an issue. And now you've got a whole leaven lump. If you open the door and listen to the seducing spirit, it spreads. It grows. It's like a cancer. Satan uses seducing spirits to plant leaven in a family, to plant leaven in a home or in a church. Satan wants to plant leaven in churches, families, and ministries. He wants to plant sin because he knows if a little sin is not dealt with, it'll grow. A little sin can grow and grow and grow. And before you know it, that one tiny mistake you made way back when has become a stronghold and you've been in bondage for the past 30 years. Amen. He uses seducing spirits to do it. Why? To get you to err from the truth of God. That's what Timothy wrote, or Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. To get you to err away from the truth of God and believe a lie more than what the Spirit of the Lord has to say. It's spiritual. It's not natural. That's what I'm trying to get. I'm, I'm trying to peel back the curtain a little bit. God, the Holy Ghost, scrape the scales off the eyes of the people today. Seducing spirits and this concept that I'm talking about is spiritual. There's a spirit behind it. Satan knows the truth that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. All you need is a little, a little bit of yeast to put in the ingredients and suddenly you can make bread. Satan wants to destroy the destiny of your life. Satan's not after you today. Satan's not even after your tomorrow. Satan's after your future. He sees the call on your life. He sees the power that your testimony can have in the lives of other people. And what he wants to do is put enough on you to get you to sit down and to shut your mouth. The church needs to stand. The church needs to say, I'm not sitting down. Satan, you can turn the furnace a little seven times higher is what Nebuchadnezzar did. He turned the furnace seven times higher. Bow to the image. And if you don't, I'll throw you in the furnace. And if you don't, I'll turn it seven times higher. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, go ahead, do it. I'm not bowing to your image. I'm not worshiping any other king. I'm worshiping Jehovah. Jehovah God is my king. He is my Lord. And I'll bow to no other man. And what happened? The furnace was open. He went in. Those three went in. But Nebuchadnezzar saw a fourth man in the fire. And then Nebuchadnezzar turned his ways. Yeah. Why? Listen to this. If Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have just taken their defeat and bowed, they would have never been able to testify to Nebuchadnezzar. You hear that? 
King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonians, who conquered the divided kingdom of Judah, captured them for 70 years, destroyed Solomon's temple. You think God can deliver a wicked man like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. His blood can cover everything. Yes. Hallelujah. Praise God. Satan uses people as well to cause agitation in relationships. He gets into the head of preachers. And every man that's behind this second desk preaching this morning should hear this word. He gets into the head of preachers, causes them to get fearful of the people. <laughs> he causes them to get fearful of the people. To then start watering down the gospel. Well, I better not preach that because so-and-so is dealing with that. Well, I better not preach that because I know that person confided in me with that one thing. If our preachers don't think I'm coming at you, listen to me. Let me clear that devil right now. Let me wind out the walls, okay? Listen to me. If you ever confided anything in me, and if I get up behind this desk and say anything about it, I'm not doing it to beat you up. I'm not coming to try to punch you in the face. I'm not, I may not even be doing it because you told me. I'm just trying to obey the word of God. I'm just trying to tell you there's a better way. Even if you confided in me, listen to me, because this is what the enemy does. He gets into our head and plants seeds of doubt. That's not my heart. My heart is to shepherd the flock. My heart is just to preach the unadulterated word of God. My heart is to love you. And that's where my heart is. I love you. I love you. I love you. And I love you. Even when you're mad at me, I still love you. Amen? So what does he do? He gets to the head of preachers and causes them to water down the gospel. And before you know it, they're ordaining weddings that shouldn't be ordained. They're omitting the preaching of sin and repentance. And instead preaching a gospel called greasy grace or sloppy agape. What does that mean? They're teaching you it's okay. Live how you want to live. God forgives. Live, do what you want to do. God is love. And those things aren't true. But you're taking the truth and you're perverting it to adopt your sinful behavior. You're taking a truth and you're using it to justify you staying where you're at. It's a perversion of scripture. Satan wants to destroy the destiny of God and he uses seducing spirits to do it. And then he just sits back and watches it multiply. And the issue spreads, it grows, it multiplies and, and comes through the ammunition of slander, through gossip, through lies, through deception. All of which are manifestations of this seducing spirit. And before you know it, it's grown so big, it's leavened the whole lump. Now everybody's affected by it. First Corinthians 5 says this, your glorifying is not good. Do you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, how does, this is what Paul instructs the church of Corinth. Purge out the old leaven. Give somebody a kick out the door. No, 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 that's not what he says. It's spiritual. It's not carnal. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. We are not the enemy towards one another. If there's an issue, how do you handle it, Pastor? You sit down, you have a conversation of love, and you listen as much as you talk. Active listening is just as important as getting your word out. You gotta listen to everybody, amen? You gotta listen to the other person around you. You gotta try to communicate and solve your differences. 
Get the leaven out. Yeah. Rebuke the spirits. Paul turned and spoke to the spirit, not to the girl. Get out in Jesus' name. That's spirit of divination. That's what we need to do in this late hour. All right. Seducing spirits also like to operate through bad reports. I'm about to give you scripture on this. Bad reports is a way seducing spirits tries to get your mind off of your faith in God, even in the middle of your warfare. And instead, seducing spirits wants to cause you to neglect forward momentum. Why? Because of that bad report. You got a bad report? Well, I'm done for it. That's what a seducing spirit does. You get a bad news? Oh, well, there's nothing I can do about that. I'm done. Let me just sit down and pack my bags and go home. That's how a seducing spirit wants you to react. Satan wants to hinder your growth. He wants to come against your destiny. Remember, he's after your future. If he can get a bad report planted in your head, and if that report takes root, it will grow, it will multiply, multiply and it will bear fruit. Not fruit of the spirit, but it will bear fruit. Why are you preaching this, Pastor? To open our eyes to the spiritual side of things. Use whatever semantics you want to use. Call it whatever you want to call it. But Caleb and Joshua understood the power of the seducing spirit operating through a bad report. Let's look at it together. Numbers chapter 13. Turn to it quickly. I said quickly. Hurry. Go. Hurry. Numbers 13. Go. I only got so much time. I got a lot, a lot of ground cover. I'm keeping. I don't do this normally, okay? Because if y'all know, I try to keep my messages between 30 and 45 minutes. I'm at 37 minutes right now, but 15 minutes of that was to get, just to get y'all to where we were in the last two weeks, okay? So don't take that out of my time. Numbers 13. I preached this message back in July, but it's applicable here today. We're gonna fly through this story, okay? Numbers 13, verse 1, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am given to the children of Israel, from each tribe to their fathers. You shall send a man, every one a leader among them. 2.5 million Israelites came out of Egypt, and Moses called on one leader from each of the 12 tribes. Okay, jump down to verse 17. Then Moses sent them out to spy out the land of Canaan. And said to them, go up this way to the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests there or not. Be of good courage. Here, there's the instruction. Moses said, go scope out the land, but be of good courage. These are the people that literally saw the Red Sea split in two and walked through on dry ground. Yeah. Imagine. Imagine witnessing such a, such a thing. But Moses says, be a big of courage. And bring some of the fruit of the land. Verse 23. Then they came into the valley of Eschol. And there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. He also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. Verse 25, I'm just skimming through, okay? And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. 
They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. Nevertheless, nevertheless, they came under the power of a seducing spirit. Before we go any further, remember the context. These people walked through the Red Sea. These people saw the place of Egypt. These people saw God glory show up on Mount Sinai in clouds and thunderings. They saw Moses come down from Mount Sinai with the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, his face shining because he was in the glory of God. They saw these things. And Moses knew they were probably going to see something there and told them preemptively, be of good courage. But they came back and they said, nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. So they came back with a bad report. They came back with a bad report. That, yeah, it's great land. But the Amorites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, there's giants in the land. We can't conquer them. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Because the Spirit of the Lord was with them. He had been with them thus far. Why would he leave them now? But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we. Verse 32. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out. Saying the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants and were like grasshoppers in our own sight. Turn over to chapter 14, verse 1. What did their bad report do? Remember, 2.5 million people, 12 leaders, only two of them gave faith in God. The ten... Sowed the seed of doubt. What is the origination of that doubt? To cause you to go astray. What does that come from? A seducing spirit. A seducing spirit. 14 verse 1. So all the con all, so all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. They took the word of those ten men and said, We're doomed. We can't do it. I can't do it. There's giants in the land. It's not that they were speaking falsities. It's true. There were. There was a seducing spirit to cause the people. Here it is. To look at the adversary more than the power of the Almighty. It caused them to draw their attention away from God. We can't do it. We can't do it. I can't do it. In the natural, it's impossible. Yeah, it may look impossible in the natural. That's what the seducing spirit wants you to do. Look at the natural more than the spiritual. God delivered them from the Red Sea, but they went into the land, saw the giants, and that seducing spirit started whispering, there's no way you can conquer this land. No way you can win. No way you can defeat those giants. Numbers 14, verse 6. Look at it. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, 
The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. The promise was already made way back when. All they had to do was stand on it. The promise was already made for you and I way back when. All we have to do is stand on it. Stand on the promises of God. The promises of God are yes and amen. Caleb and Joshua spoke faith instead of fear. That's the point I want to bring out there. Let me give you one more example. Seducing spirits also want to get you to operate solely on the voice of man. The fear of opinions. The fear of the faces. Young Jeremiah was called to be a prophet. The Lord said, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And I ordained you as a prophet of nation. But Jeremiah was scared. He was a young man. What did the Lord say to him? Don't be fearful of their faces. I put my word in you. And my word is like a fire shut up in your bones. When you're even at your lowest point, Jeremiah. And you say, Jeremiah, that you can't do it anymore. You face hell and high water. You're preaching my word and nobody's listening to you. Even Jeremiah, when you say, I can't do it anymore, God. I know you'll continue to do it because my word is shut up like a fire in your bones. When you get this word in you, the devil can't shut you up. When you get this word implanted in you, and not only is it planted, but it starts to take root. And you start to bear fruit. And you start to walk it out like shoe leather gospel. And say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, it is the word of God. It all speaks of Christ and Him crucified. Hebrews 10, 7 says, in love, the volume of the book is written in me. Everything speaks of Christ. And when you get that revelation in you, it will change your life. Remember the end goal of the seducing spirits to get you to focus more on the words and the deception rather than the words of Jehovah. Let me give you another example. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Turn to it quickly. Quickly, quickly. You've got to see this today. I'm almost done. Give me 15 minutes. 1 Samuel 15. Verse 1. Samuel also said to Saul. Remember Saul, the first king. Of a united kingdom, very first king of Israel, first man of God's people to wear a crown on his head. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them. Kill both man, woman, infant, and nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. One preacher referred to this as a scorched earth policy. That's his military term. Complete devastation and destruction. No person walks out of there alive. That's what the Lord said to Saul through the prophet Samuel. Verse 4, so Saul gathered the people together and numbered them, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. Every time I see Judah, I think, I'm going to think about last week's message. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. We already see some disobedience in the word. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. Verse 8. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. 
God didn't tell you to take the king alive. He told you to kill him. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the ox, and the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. And were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. They got rid of the things that didn't look good to them, but they kept the things that looked good to them. But God said, get rid of it all. Don't negotiate with the Lord. If he tells you to do it, do it. Verse 10, now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I've set up Saul as king. Wow, what a rebuke. The Lord said this, I greatly regret that I've set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel then confronted Saul about Saul's disobedience to God, and Saul responded in verse 20. Look at it. Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. You liar. You have not. Saul said to the prophet, I'm obeying God. Well, what about King Ahab? What about all those sheep and oxen that look nice to you? You're lying to the Lord. I've obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Here we go. Seducing spirit in operation. How? Through hypocritical lies. I said that at the beginning. That's one way of seducing spirit manifests. Through hypocritical lies. A lie that you believe yourself. Hypocrisy. Patholog path uh, pathological lie. Thank you, Brother Jeff. <laughs> Saul was under the influence of a seducing spirit because he did what he thought was the right thing to do. Even though God specifically told him, get rid of it all. This was the work of a seducing spirit. I'll show it to you in a minute. But look at what Samuel said in verse 22. So Samuel said, Has the Lord, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? In other words, the Lord would rather your obedience than your sacrifice. Sacrifice till the cows come home. If you have a disobedient heart, it means nothing. God even said, I don't want your worship. I don't want your sacrifices anymore in the Old Testament. He said that. I don't want it. Your heart's far from me. Your worship is in vain. Your attendance to church is in vain. It means nothing if your heart's not with the Lord. Sacrifice is not better than obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice. It's better to obey the Lord than to disobey and offer up vain sacrifices. 1 Samuel 15, 23. Here it is, the verse I quoted at the beginning. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. This is what Samuel said to Saul. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you. So how was this the work of a seducing spirit, Pastor? Let me show it to you. Look at verse 24. Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. He came to the end. He acknowledged the error of his ways. I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Seducing spirit came over to Saul and caused him to be more fearful of the people than obedience to the word of the Lord. Mm. Samuel gave Saul the voice he should have listened to, the voice of God. Call it what you want. You can get into a semantics debate till the cows come home. I don't really care. It was a seducing spirit. That you're not going to change my mind. A seducing spirit is what manifested through the people and through Saul to cause him to negate what Samuel said that the work Lord told him to do and instead hear what the people wanted to do instead. Now look back at your Bible. What happened after this? How did Samuel respond to Saul's comment? I'm, I'm done after this. i got nine more minutes left too, praise God. 
1 Samuel 15, 32-33. Saul disobeyed. Samuel confronted Saul. Saul lied. Samuel confronted Saul again. Saul admitted, I sinned, but I was afraid of the people. How did Samuel respond at the end? Samuel said, bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously. Look up here. Don't read ahead. I love that. Can you imagine? Agag probably got wind by now. I was supposed to die back there. I was supposed to die. But Samuel says, bring me Agag. And Agag comes to him in the New King James and says, cautiously. He's probably walking in there like, what's going to happen? And Agag says, surely the bitterness of death is past. See, he's trying to negotiate with the prophet. As if the prophet's going to change his mind that God said to kill him. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't look at King James, but I typically study a new King James. I like new King James. Samuel, it says Samuel hacked a gag in pieces. That's violent, brother. Well, it is. But that's what the Lord told him to do. This may be violent. This may be uncomfortable to read. But the fact of the matter is, it is in your Bible. And I think the brutality of the words are used on purpose. The brutality of this scene is on purpose. Because it paints the picture of how God wants us to deal with the things that we're listening to more than the voice of God. You hear me? Samuel hacked and hacked to pieces. If you've got something in your life that you know is disobedient to the word of the Lord, hack it to pieces today. Quit hacking it. God is calling us to hack some things in my life. He's calling me to hack up some things 